You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 43 of our show, where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and more. We're recording on Thursday, November 19. I'm your host, Mikey Campbell, and with me today is uh, managing editor Neil Hughes. Hello there. How's it going? Pretty good. And also, back by popular demand, Shane Cole. What's up, cats and kittens? Someone out there defined themselves as a Shane fanboy, and I just found that to be hilarious. Yeah, uh, you found it to be hilarious. I found it to be terrifying. Someone out there really likes Mikey's voice, too. So, Oh, dude, many people love Mikey's voice. <laughs> well, including Shane. Oh, dude, why do you think I'm here? Nobody likes my nasally voice? Come on. No. Well, <laughs> so today, talking about iPad Pro, of course, and Neil brought us Apple Insider's iPad Pro review. Neil, what did you think about Apple's largest tablet ever? So I've uh, been using the iPad Pro for over a week now, um, and I'm pretty happy with it. I think, uh, like we discussed a little bit last week, the, the apps need to... Um, uh, they need to kind of have the training wheels come off, so to speak, you know, and I kind of touched on this in my review too. Um, you go to the app store and there's like 45 different options to select rather than just taking advantage of the real estate in a way that makes it valuable. It just puts more content on there. And of course, not every app is going to be better suited for a larger screen, but you would hope that especially with Apple's own native built-in apps on the iPad, that they would start to take advantage of this larger real estate but in terms of uh, just daily use, um, uh, using it on my lap or on a desk or something like that, uh, it's a really uh, pleasant experience. The thing is speedy and it performs well, and it uh, uh, I'm, I'm really happy with it. So, who did Apple make this for? Do you think? I you know it's a good question because they're trying to position it as a laptop replacement, and I think that it can be for some people. But I think for the people that this is a laptop replacement, the iPad Air 2 would arguably be just as good. Um, you know, you could say creative professionals, uh, uh, you know, folks who might st- uh, take advantage of the pencil or something like that. Certainly there were keyboard accessories before, but I think as the apps are updated to take advantage of that larger screen, you see more smart connector accessories. I think this becomes just kind of a catch-all computing device that does a, a lot, things that a laptop necessarily can't necessarily do. Shane, did you have any, uh, do you have any chance to get some hands-on time with the, the iPad Pro? Yeah, so I used one, and it reaffirmed my uh, pre-launch suspicions that I have no use for this device in my <laughs> life whatsoever. But I'm going to tell you why, okay? And it's not the, it's not the, sorry, I almost went full up the board on you. It's not the, um, the darn thing's size, uh, which I originally thought it would be. I was, my original thing, right, was, uh, it, it's 13 inches. If I want to carry something that large around, I'll just, like, get a damn MacBook, you know? Because it's roughly the same size, it's not. It's much more capable when it comes to the stuff I do as a quote-unquote creative professional. Quote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unquote. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's at the end of the day, though, I think the hardware is not as big a deal as I thought it would be. It's not so amazingly large that I, like, I'm hung up on it. Like, my whole world has not become about the iPad Pro. It is, however, uh, the total lack of... Apps. Right now, the iPad Pro is to a quote-unquote creative professional what the Apple Watch is to literally everyone, right? Which is a nice thing that makes you uh, more makes your life more convenient, but can't be um, can't carry the mail on its own. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, for me, I've I've always wanted a bigger iPad, so it kind of fits that. Uh, that subset that I've been looking for. Um, and yeah, the horsepower is great. I, I enjoy all that stuff. The larger form factor works for me because I'm not like watching Netflix in bed with this thing, you know? And I feel like there's a lot of people that do that. And for them, an iPad mini is going to be great. You know, they don't want something heavy. They want something portable. They want to use it with one hand. That's not how I use my iPad. I use it 
my iPad has kind of over the years become like my, my couch computer, you know, like I want to keep my laptop on a desk somewhere and I want to go to it when I want to do serious computing. But if I just want to sit around, sit down and screw around while I'm watching TV on the couch or something, the iPad's perfect for that. So I set it on my lap, you know, I might cross my legs and kind of prop it up or something like that. Uh, that, that's mostly what I'm using it for. Uh, I don't use keyboards really with my iPad. If I, if I do, I have the bridge keyboard, which I really like on my iPad Air 2, and I've been testing out the Logitech one. But it's not really something that I feel is necessary. I wouldn't buy one of these personally or anything like that. I just use the iPad as a very different type of computing device. I do exactly the same thing. For me, that's how I bifurcate work and screwing around, right? Like if I'm working, I'm at my desk on my laptop. If I'm screwing around, right. 90% of the time I'm on my iPad. But I was going to say, the focus, because of the pencil, everyone has focused on the iPad Pro for creative professionals. But really, the group of people who this is a professional tool for are C asterisk O's, right? Uh, like mm-hmm. the CEO in many big corporations could easily be chief email officer. That's all these people do <laughs> all day long, right? Is they, they talk to people, they send emails, they write memos. That is who this is for. And for those people who spend their entire day in Outlook, Word, Excel, and, I don't know, occasionally Minesweeper or something, it's, <laughs> it'll be absolutely perfect. I have no doubt that in the enterprise, IBM will be able to sell the shit out of these. But, but people, I mean, need to, I think, people need to stop focusing on the damn pencil and realize that it's not for that. It's That's an awesome thing, and that's what Johnny Ive wants it to be for because it's really cool. Right. But who it's going to actually sell in great numbers to are road warrior corporate users. Yeah. Are you I, saying Are you saying artists don't have money to spend on an iPad Pro chain? <laughs> I'm saying the people who have money, the artists who have money to spend on an iPad Pro already spent it on a Cintiq. <laughs> But, I, you know, I, I think, uh, I, and Mikey kind of agree with me, we talked about this uh, in the past week, when you use iMovie on an iPad, um, it's a really pleasant experience where you can do stuff very quickly, uh, it's very natural, it's very fluid, and you can see the potential there for when somebody finally decides to say, well, I've got all this screen real estate and all this horsepower Screw it. Let's just make a true professional-grade app. There are some things that are more pleasant and easier to do on a touchscreen than there are than they are on a traditional computer. And iMovie is a great example of that. It's not going to replace professional-grade movie editing for like a movie studio or something. But if you're a so-called prosumer, right, and you are you know do, editing home movies and you want to have that little bit more horsepower. That's where the training wheels need to kind of come off, so to speak. So I edited together the video that we uh, did last week with the skateboard that I checked out. And I couldn't um, move – I I put like little titles in the corner and I couldn't change the font and I couldn't uh, move where the text was displaying. And there's absolutely no real reason for that at all. Like why can't I do that? Why isn't that allowed? iMovie sucks for that. It, it And there's no reason that it shouldn't be – I mean it, it's within the capabilities of the hardware and the software to do this. It's just a matter of Apple needs to um, really step their game up in terms of the software. And I, you know, it's not that far off that you could see where we could end up with some sort of stripped-down version of Final Cut or something on your iPad. There, I don't see any reason that we can't do it. There are certain strengths that an iPad has that, uh, that a Mac does not. It will absolutely eventually get to where you're going. I'm thinking maybe 10 years down the road, though. Like, the immediate future for the iPad, because, see, there's a whole... The reason is that there's a whole... The reason I say that, anyway, I might be, like, a total idiot on this, but there's a whole generation of kids who are growing up with a smartphone as a computer, right? Right. They don't have a computer. I mean, especially... Mikey used to live in Japan. I'm sure you've seen this, right? People don't have home computers. They have their yeah. their yeah. computer at work. Kitai. Yeah, yeah. They have their computer at work, and everything else is done on their phone. Yeah. And around the world, there's a whole generation of people growing up in the same manner. They don't they don't think of a computer in the traditional sense or the way that we think of one, right? They think of it as their phone or their tablet. And in ten years, when that group is literally everyone, um, that's that's where you'll be. You'll be in the place where there'll be Final Cut on a touchscreen and the iPad. Air seventy five will be the most, like the biggest selling computer in the world. You know, 
I just think I think, right, I think we're right closer now, than that. Though, you know. I, I think we're closer than that. I don't think it's that far off. And I think when you try out the software that's available, you can see where we're so close, you know? And it doesn't have to be as capable as a Mac, I don't think. It's a matter of convenience and, and the ease of use that, that really can take it to the next level. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, there's uses where, I mean, with iMovie, it is nice to reach out and touch the clips, so to speak, and uh, kind of, uh, you know, play with it that way. Um, but then, you know, there's those power users who do a lot of word processing and stuff, and that is definitely not something you want to do with a soft keyboard. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, they're going to have to strike some sort of balance in between. I'm not sure how they're going to do that exactly. Uh, some people, or there, there's been speculation that Apple will uh, merge the iPad and MacBook lines somehow and create some sort of Franken device. But uh, Tim Cook this week said that that will not happen and they have no plan to do so. Well, so Shane, what do you think? I mean, would a converged iPad slash MacBook work? So I've had this argument a lot recently, mostly with Victor. Um, I think the Surface Book is what the MacBook should have been. And I think in the long term, we're going to find that the dual OS strategy was not the wrong road per se, but the... Um, the the not the suboptimal route, I guess. Um, Microsoft took like the long, difficult um, journey. You know, like on the road trip across America, they went down through Texas instead of just through the flyover states. And, yeah, this metaphor has gone off the rails. But um, eventually, I think the idea of of one OS across every device will win for some definition of win. Um, and I think that is what the convergence will end up being, right? It won't be necessarily that there's a converged device. It will be that iOS and OS X get closer together. One of the things that sets them apart right now is tablet app quality, right? Because, I, because primarily, though, not because Mac developers are going and making tablet apps, but because iPhone developers are making iPad apps. And on Windows... You don't have a huge community of Windows Phone guys going and making Windows 10 apps for tablets, right? So what you have is Microsoft essentially leading the way. Office is the greatest set of tablet-optimized Windows 10 apps. Um, and I think it's the, probably the only one anyone can name off the top of their head. But a long way down the line, when, these, when Microsoft's core of developers figure it out, I think you're going to see that that was the right choice and everything is trending. It will, will eventually trend toward that direction. So in that sense, yes, I can totally see a converged device. In the sense of a MacBook with a touchscreen or running iOS, probably not. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that either. And the way I, I've been thinking of it, uh, especially messing around with the iPad Pro, is you know, this is kind of the starting point of you buy your iPad and that's like the base computer, and then I feel like you can add on to it as needed and make it the computer that you want. But at its core, it's just a screen that does everything on its own. You don't need a pencil, you don't need a keyboard, you don't need a dock, you don't need any of these accessories. But if you want to turn your iPad into a MacBook, if you want to turn your iPad into a uh, uh, something you can draw on or write with, if you want to turn it into something else, that's where I think the potential for the smart connector really starts to come in. And that's where you can start to view the iPad as kind of the foundation upon a computing platform that goes well beyond what we have right now. I'm still waiting for the day when I can just come back to my desk and slide my phone into my monitor and have that become my computer. Right, yeah. I mean, That's my, I, like, utopia. You, you got to think that, like, you know, in some sort of 10, 15 years down the road, right, it's whatever screen you have becomes your device, and it's authenticated, whether it's by biometrics or something like that. Like, imagine a future where all of your personal computing information, your files, your 
login credentials, your your wallpaper, even basic stuff like that is all saved on your Apple Watch or something. And you can sit down at any computer or any TV or any tablet or whatever, and it just instantly becomes yours. It becomes your device. I think that's that's kind of the future that we're headed to, this combination of local identification, cloud computing, syncing, and just kind of making it so that it's seamless and it just transitions from one device to another like you're describing. What's really interesting to me about that is that exactly what you just said is like the um was the the far out dream of quote unquote i god i guess not doing that the network right in like the yeah. late 80s early yeah, 90s. Yeah. that's what everyone expected it to be eventually you would just go sit down and log in and your stuff would be there right I mean, that's, well, yeah, we're, that's the we're way it works in the enterprise, you know? If you, we're going back if to the original concept of, you know, dumb terminals. And, and yeah. th- I think that it's kind of an inevitability at this point that that's where we're going to be at some point in the future. And you can kind of feel it heading there as, as, we, as these devices get more powerful but also kind of more stripped down, you know? Um, the iPad's more powerful than ever, but it's also as simple as it's ever been. Well, and then there's and, also a wild card here, right, which is – which is the development of the web. So how mm-hmm. long will it be until a lot of these things that we're talking about that need huge amounts of local horsepower can be done on the internet? I mean, it's not that long considering what exists right now, you know. Well, until we get a better infrastructure in most of the world, particularly in the United States where our internet connections are complete crap. I mean, I can't even get a good uh regular cable signal from Time Warner because they uh uh compress all the video over their traditional coax and you know if you're watching a show and there's like a bunch of flashes going on it just picks it turns into a pixelated mess they just don't have the bandwidth for it with the current infrastructure it's internet built on 1980s cable and uh that's going to be the biggest roadblock there is that uh the amount of data that's going to have to be sent immediately to do that kind of cloud computing with remote processing is going to make it prohibitive i think until you just bypass the wires entirely and we end up with you know lte fifth generation or whatever as or i lasers or lasers yeah. yeah i was gonna say i don't i don't feel your pain as i sit over here with my 25 dollar a month 100 megabit synchronous oh. fiber to the home it's terrible how's the how's the picture quality on tv though is it okay because um, what, what all the cable companies in the u.s have done is to get more uh, bandwidth for internet they've co- started compressing the di- it's you know everything's digital now digital cable so they compress all the video and it looks like crap uh so i don't have cable uh oh. all i have are the over the air channels one of which hilariously is bloomberg tv uh, <laughs> but that looks amazing well over yeah, the air over is, the air is awesome yeah do they have one seg over there no no oh well never mind then in other news, uh, relating to the iPad Pro, as we were discussing earlier, what some people are clamoring for because they believe it is the only accessory you should buy for the the tablet is Pencil, right? Apple Pencil. Extremely limited availability, slowly trickling out to brick-and-mortar Apple stores in this week. Um we had a report earlier, uh, I think it was a couple of days ago, from esteemed analyst Ming-Chi Kuo. Everyone's right, favorite. Yeah. Uh, he was saying that Apple is having severe production issues, uh, especially when it comes to assembling the Apple Pencil. Uh, and I believe there was something written today, Neil, about... Um, uh, the uh, Apple Pencil teardown. What did uh, what did you make of that? Yeah, it's a pretty interesting, super compact design. I fix it to their usual uh, disassembly. Couldn't even get inside the thing without taking what looked like a buzz saw to it to uh, to shred the plastic on both sides. And uh, they they called it the smallest logic board they've ever seen in a in a device. Uh, it's actually a flex board that's folded in half to fit inside of the pencil. Um, Needless to say, you will not be taking this thing in to get it repaired if the battery craps out on you or something, which who cares? Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, impressive design. And uh, Johnny Ive has even said in interviews that they've 
learned things in creating this that, that will apply to future devices. So you got to think that this bodes well for our future of wearable devices uh, and stuff like that from Apple. Yeah, I think, I, well, Johnny Ive, uh, he, he, I think he was interviewed by a, uh, was it a British magazine? I think so, uh, yeah. Wallpaper. Um, he, he, in that interview, he also said that Apple is working feverishly on uh, battery technology and, um, you know, things like inductive charging. Uh, and I guess uh, Pencil is kind of the tip of the iceberg for that. Uh, it, it has a uh, quick charge or quick recharge function that is one of the first that I've seen on Apple hardware. Yeah, it's um, what fifteen seconds a charge or something gets yeah, you fifteen seconds, thirty minutes, for thirty use, minutes, which yeah. is incredible. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, that was. I guess he wanted it to feel like an analog pencil, and you know that obviously means you know you don't charge a wooden pencil. So he wanted he wanted it to be as seamless as possible, I guess. Uh, but did it, did either of you have a chance to even uh, test that out in an Apple store? I tested out the pencil, yeah. Shane? I mean, it's nice. It's definitely the nicest stylus I've ever tried. It's not a stylus, Shane. <laughs> it's a stylus. It's a stylus. It needs to get over himself. It's a stylus. It's a very nice stylus. It, it I mean, it's nice. It has all the little Apple attention to detail. Like, even when you set it on a table, I test it out, and it rolls a little bit, but then it always stops at the same point with the logo facing up, you know, little things like that. Um it feels good. Uh, my handwriting is absolutely atrocious. Uh, I can't draw to save my life. So I'm going to be testing this out because that's what I do for a living. But um, this is not really a product that I'm clamoring for. I would much rather have cursor input. You know, using my uh, iPad Pro with a keyboard, I found myself constantly reaching down to hit a trackpad that wasn't there. And then switching back to my MacBook Pro, I found myself trying to reach out and touch the screen for a touchscreen that wasn't there. So it's a, it is a kind of in-betweener device in that sense. And as th- more capabilities come to it, and hopefully one day far in the future when we get cursor support on iOS, it'll be a little easier to use it how you want to use it. But it's a good thing that the pencil's out there, and it'll be a great use for a lot of people, I think. And it seems like a good accessory. All right. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to test it out when I uh, picked up my iPad Pro. They didn't have any, and they didn't have any out on the floor, and they still don't have any because I live in Hawaii. <laughs> we don't get anything. Oh, boohoo! <laughs> Look, uh, the weather Neil? is. Yep. I was well. You were going to make the same point I was, uh, Neil. What's the temperature where you live today? I think it's like sixty-five. Yeah, it was like ninety here today. <laughs> No, it has, it's been kind of warm here, actually, unseasonably warm in New York. Today's Apple Insider podcast is brought to you by Canary, a complete home security system in a single device. Since launching earlier this year, people across the world have been using Canary to stop burglaries and other serious incidents. The device features a 1080p HD camera, complete with wide-angle lens, motion detection, and night vision and lets you watch your home live at any time. Canary's algorithms send you intelligent notifications when something's out of the ordinary, and the device has a 90 decibel siren that's loud enough to scare off intruders. Canary also pulls in local police and fire department numbers near your home, so if you're traveling, you can quickly get in touch with the right people. Canary automatically arms and disarms when you leave or come home, and you can link up to four of them together in a single location. So it's easy to protect homes of all sizes. Privacy mode is one of the more interesting features. If you don't want the camera on when you're around and walking around in uh, less than your corporate clothing attire, (laughs) privacy mode automatically... uh, turns off camera and mic functionality. So, start protecting your home with Canary today for just $199. Go to meetcanary.com and use the promo code INSIDER to get free overnight shipping. That's meetcanary.com and the promo code INSIDER. Canary, smart home security for everyone. 
Mikey, do you wear uh, corporate attire around your home? Is that what you do? Uh, usually, uh, well, I mean, right now I'm sitting in a three-piece suit, no tie. <laughs> I'm going a little casual today. Yeah. Tomorrow I might, I might strip down to uh, two collared shirts with popped collars, of course. Didn't you do an interview with a CBS affiliate in a t-shirt last week? Look, <laughs> we're not going to discuss that, Neil. The show's not about me. But yes, I did. <laughs> Switching gears to, uh, to iPhone, Apple's revenue driver uh there are rumors earlier this week i believe that apple will come out with the mythical four inch iphone either powered by an a9 or a8 system on chip i think neil you wrote this article didn't you yeah, there were a couple of competing rumors. Uh, Ming-Chi Kuo um, didn't really cite sources. He just predicted, I think, that it's going to run an A9 chip, which would be the same processor found in the 6S, 2 gigs of RAM, uh, uh, you know, nice and speedy. Uh, and then there was another competing rumor that came out and said it's actually going to be an A8, not an A9. I am hesitant to take a side on this one because I was completely wrong in my predictions for what Apple would do with the iPhone 6 uh, once the 6S launched. I was of the belief that they would discontinue the 6, uh, the 6 and replace it with a uh, revised 4-inch model um, with kind of less functionality. And maybe they were considering that, and it's possible that they just kind of saw the numbers of how much they could eat away at Android share by selling a 5-inch, uh, 4.7-inch phone for... Uh, you know, $100 less or whatever. But yeah, I, I think when I think about it, the A8 t- seems to make more sense, right? So imagine a 2016 iPhone refresh. You have a brand new iPhone 7, new design, stands out from the rest of the lineup, looks different, does something amazing, who knows. You have the 6S at $100 on contract, $550 um, uh, without a contract. And then you have uh, the same components from the 6 crammed into a 4-inch phone running an A8 processor rather than an A9. And then your top-of-the-line iPhone 7 would have an A10. So that seems to make the most sense to me if it's going to be the new free-on-contract phone for the 4-inch model. It wouldn't make much sense to me to have it running the same processor as the 6S, which would presumably be staying in the lineup. First, let me say that I was impressed you were able to write that article with the throbbing erection you surely had. (laughs) (laughs) It was difficult, I heard. I can't buy that phone, though, man. Like, I'm not going to... I got an A9 now and a 6S. I'm not going to downgrade to a 4-inch phone with a slower processor. Well, I mean, would it really knock performance that much? I mean, the screen is so much smaller. So, I mean, you... It could be a redesigned A8 that maybe doesn't focus so much on graphics. Maybe, but... Maybe throws out one of the uh, GPU cores. Let's say everything's the same, okay? Everything's the same as the iPhone 6, and I have a 6S now. So then presumably I lose 4K video. I lose uh, the faster Touch ID sensor. I lose uh, 3D Touch, you know? Mm. You can't go back if they're going to make the 4-inch phone gimped. Uh, You know, so... Go ahead. I, yeah, I was going to say, I see what you're saying. I don't think any of those things have anything to do with the A9 or the A8, though. Um, I do think that there's an argument that it could be the A9, primarily just for simplicity's sake. Um, mm. Maybe they're binning parts and the binned A9s get into the smaller, cheaper phone. Could be, yeah. So. If I could as get as- all of the functionality of the, of the 6S in a 4-inch phone, I would take it. But I'm not going to go backwards. Yeah. For me, I think that there's... It's probably six of one, half dozen of the other between the A8 and the A9. The real question, if they did come out with a new 4-inch phone, for me, would be, will it have NFC and Apple Pay? I have to believe yes. You would hope, yeah. Yeah, I would, I would think so. Although, they could make it like the iPad. You kind of have Apple Pay, but not the NFC variety. Although, I'm doing most of my Apple Pay now on my uh, watch, so... Ooh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I've uh, I've used Apple Pay on my watch once um, at a uh, random Vietnamese restaurant that 
took Apple Pay for some reason. <laughs> That's really weird. Just on the cutting edge there. Yeah, except they didn't know how to use the uh, terminal, so it was a. Uh, it's a little. Uh, I, it was a process. Find that process. I use Apple Pay on my watch, and I use uh, passes for concerts or sporting events or whatever on my phone. Uh, and the reason for that is you're waiting in line and you select it on your watch and then it goes away and then you got to kind of pull it back up. And then sometimes you'll get up there like I tried to get on a plane once and I had my uh, uh, my boarding pass on my watch and the thing they had to scan it was like uh, not big enough to fit a human wrist in there. It was just enough to like slide your phone under, you know, so they couldn't actually scan my wrist. So then I had to pull out the phone. So I found that I'm just defaulting to, uh, Apple pay on my watch. Cause it's just real easy Just hit the button twice. It's good to go. And then if I'm doing a pass or a, a ticket or whatever, then I use my phone. Shane, do, do you, uh, do you have any Apple pay up in your neck of the woods? Uh, I used to use it quite often actually. Um, because I live in the first world where <coughs> contactless payments are actually a thing. Huh. Uh, but I haven't used it. It works here, generally speaking, as long as you're using Visa or MasterCard. Um, because PayPass and PayWave, that's like MasterCard, PayPass, yeah, I think so. PayPass and PayWave are pretty much everywhere. Um, but Amex, whatever their Amex's tap to pay thing is, uh, is not. So I used to use it quite a lot when I was using my American credit cards, but now that I uh, have non-American credit cards, I'm using them. Traitor. I know, right? Do, do your credit cards have uh, built-in, not built-in, but do, do they have NSV, NFC modules in them? They do. Yeah, see, that's a little more convenient than a uh, phone. Well, no, I would Maybe. totally be, I was absolutely fine with using just my phone to be truthful. Um, I would much rather just leave my wallet here and throw my phone in my pocket, but alas, I cannot actually, even more than that, I'd rather just have my watch have a damn 3g connection and leave all of it at home, but I cannot. Well, yeah. I mean, how are they going to sell Apple watches next year? They're going to be thinner. It better not be thinner without, uh, could be though. Yeah, it'll be thinner, but comparable performance. And then we'll wait yet another year for more autonomy in a cellular radio. When I tried to, one thing I tried to do, so you know how it can remember Wi-Fi networks? Yes. Um, The Hong Kong Island is blanketed in public Wi-Fi hotspots. So I, and my home internet connection comes with a subscription to one of the biggest like Wi-Fi networks. So I added the Mac address of my watch to my Wi-Fi subscription, and it actually worked quite well. Yeah, I was sick. I was literally shocked. I literally found a live electrical wire and grabbed it. That was how surprised I was. <laughs> Switching again to yet another Apple product, Apple TV. We had a review this week on SteelSeries Nimbus gaming controller. Neil, you did the review. What did you think? This is the first iOS-compatible gaming controller that I can wholeheartedly recommend. Uh, The only caveat is if you plan on using this with your iPhone, it's probably not a great option because if you're gaming with your iPhone, you probably want to have a clamp for it or something since you you can't prop it up on a train or something like that or in an airplane it's kind of difficult but if you're using this with your apple tv and your ipad where you can't use a clamp anyhow um it's comfortable it's premium it's uh works well responsive feels good in the hand uh it costs fifty dollars i mean if you remember when these iphone gaming controllers first started coming out they were a hundred bucks and they weren't very good um this one is is excellent um the lack of a clamp means it's mostly meant for couch use, but I mean, if you got an Apple TV and you want to use a game controller with it, this is this is a great option, and I don't think anybody would have any concerns uh, have, after having spent fifty dollars on this, as long as you're okay with the price, and you know the limitations. You're not going to get rumble or motion controls like you might in an Xbox One controller or a PlayStation Four controller, but that's Apple's deal. That that's their specifications. This, uh, in terms of what it does, it works great, and it's really well-constructed. It feels really nice and an easy recommendation. What games have you uh, 
tried out on um did you do a lot of gaming on tv i you know i've, I've tested out the controllers and tested out the games you know the options on there are a little limited right now i did the uh, asphalt 8 uh, racing game which is cool uh, you got to go into the settings and turn off the automatic gas uh, on there because otherwise it just accelerates by default uh, and obviously not ideal when using a controller. Um, even games that aren't designed for the controller that use uh, the Siri uh, touchpad will, a Siri remote touchpad will uh, work fine with the controller. Like, for example, uh, Crossy Road. Um, it just t- emulates your swipes when you use the joystick so you can actually control the game that way uh, and it works. Um, and yeah, I, uh, Geometry Wars 3 is great. And I've talked about that one before where it does kind of the cross-platform syncing from iOS to Apple TV and that kind of stuff. Uh, one problem I do have is for some reason the, the sticks are flipped on the controllers for Geometry Wars. So traditionally you would move the character with the left stick and shoot with the right stick. Uh, it, for some reason uh, Activision has it so that you move with the right stick and shoot with the left stick. I wish you could go in and change that in the controls. You can change it on the iPhone version, but not on the Apple TV version. So that's one of those things that, you know, they can fix with an update or whatever. But I've done a fair amount of gaming, I guess, on the Apple TV, and overall the experience is pretty good. Um, uh, Mr. Crab is another one that isn't designed for a controller, but it works because you just basically press the button to jump, and that's all you need to do. So... You know, there's a few options on there. They're pretty basic games, but it's not bad. And uh, I imagine it's just going to get better at this point. Um, plenty of great iPhone uh, games that use controllers that just need to be ported over to tvOS. So just a matter of time. You heard it here first, folks. The $50 Steel Series Nimbus is great for playing Mr. Crab. <laughs> <clears throat> the only way. Mr. Crab is not designed for the controller, but it does work with the controller. I have so no idea what Mr. Crab is. Press that A button. It's a game where you you uh, uh, just tap the screen to jump, and that's all it is. So it's Flappy Crab. It's a little more nuanced than Flappy See, Crab. It's actually you, a fun b- game. Before you said that, in my brain, it was like a side-scrolling crab RPG. Because <laughs> uh, Mr. Crab, crab sideways, get it? was free a couple years ago uh, on the App Store. My wife downloaded it. And played it so much on the train that she gave herself like a like a callus and like a cramp on a finger because of the way she was holding her phone playing the game. So it is addicting. Wow. Would you say she was holding it in a claw-like manner? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shane, do you uh, are you a gamer of any sort? Do you, do you use Apple? Do you even have an Apple TV? It's been a while since we've talked to you. All right, so I'm going to answer one of those 75 questions at a time. One, yes, I do play games when I actually have time to do so. I do not generally play games on consoles, though. Um, I used to own both an Xbox 360 and a PS3, and I had one game, or I had three total games. I had Madden and NCAA football with the Xbox and MLB The Show with the PlayStation. Um, Sports so, gamer. Well, Because every other form of game is measurably stupider on a console it just i'm sorry it just is fps's with a controller are dumb (laughs) i'm sorry they just are anyway anyway i do have an apple tv i have two actually because i never sold my second gen apple tv and now it's freaking worthless um i have a third gen apple tv i do not have a fourth gen apple tv because as somebody who lives outside of america apple products are useless for me what I thought you could DNS in, though. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not the problem. I can still get Netflix and stuff. But the Apple TV sold here does not have Siri. Oh, that's yeah, right. That's, yeah. yeah that's Why doesn't it bummer. have Siri? I have absolutely no freaking idea. They're, uh... I don't really use Siri on it, honestly. What? It's the principle of watch... the thing. You I don't, don't watch don't movies ch- very much. You don't check sports scores or the weather? I just don't, I don't have the time to watch a lot of movies or TV shows and... A lot of times what I'm watching is, you know, recorded from cable or something like that. I, I do uh, use my Apple TV a lot to stream hockey games, and the, the app works great. It works better than my Xbox, so I'm happy. Siri is very convenient for searching. I mean, even if Apple didn't force you to use it, basically, <laughs> like they do, <laughs> uh, it, it is uh, very intuitive, I've found. 
Um, My uh, uh, Apple TV was not sending the uh, HDMI CEC is what they call it to turn mm. off the TV. It didn't recognize my TV. And then I did a software update and now it recognizes my projector and it turns it off. So that's cool. Interesting. Yeah, I just, uh, for some reason, the it doesn't send a power on signal. But when, it's really irritating, when I'm like watching cable on like HDMI 1 or something mm-hmm. and uh, the remote is so damn sensitive, like I'll just tap it and it'll switch it, switch over. it over to yeah, uh, TV. Ugh. Don't sit on the remote, buddy. I'm not sitting on it. It's like next to me and I'll brush it with my hand. <laughs> so I'm going to reveal to you how lame I am right now. I would absolutely, even without Siri, I would buy an Apple TV for if there was a BBC app for it. There is. There's an iPlayer app for it? Seriously? There will be. There will uh, be. Well, there, there will be. Yeah, there's not yet. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm waiting to have someone smuggle me one when they come back uh, from the States. But anyway, uh, because my wife and I have a new obsession uh, because we're both 30 now and thus old, which is mm. the Great British Bake Off. Not familiar. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a bunch of British people who go out into the country every weekend and bake things as a competition. Interesting. It's I'm, there I'm, are it's four amazing. new episodes of Mr. Show out, not Mr. Crab, Mr. Show, and I am a big uh, Mr. Show fan. Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, and it's been out for a week now, and <laughs> I've only watched one episode of it. That's how this sad is, my television viewing is. This is not a show, Mister. <laughs> I watched one episode. I have to get around to watching the rest of them. I'm like three episodes behind on Homeland. I'm an episode behind on The Leftovers. I have shows that I watch, but not enough hours in the day these days. I am an entire season behind on Mad Men, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. Mad Men, I'm, I don't know if you're aware, but it, the series ended. I know. I mean, I haven't watched the last season yet, <laughs> dick. And it keeps... It keeps getting worse. I have Jessica Jones coming out tomorrow. I'm not going to have time to watch any of this stuff. You know, so... I, I give up. Is there... On the new Apple TV, can you, like, parentally control what shows people watch within apps? Because I would definitely do that. Because my wife likes some dumbass shows. <laughs> uh, you can control iTunes content, but I don't know that... They, I mean, I'm guessing Netflix must have some restrictions, right? I've never... Well, no, Netflix is not the problem. It's Hulu. Hulu is the offender here. Well, you've got to think that any of those are going to have some sort of... I'm sure Hulu has an age restriction yeah, I've, feature. I, I tried to look and see if I could block only once upon a time, but unfortunately I can't. <laughs> I have to block all of Hulu. Like talk about SoftLayer, one of our show's sponsors. SoftLayer delivers cloud built to order. Your business applications and computational workloads are unique, so you deserve cloud resources that meet your specific needs. SoftLayer is one of the only cloud providers that provisions dedicated servers and virtual servers from a single seamless platform. All on demand, all connected to the same open API, all connected to a global private network, allowing you to scale your workloads up and down quickly and have ample space for storage intensive tasks. SoftLayer is an IBM company. In fact, IBM uses SoftLayer as its cloud infrastructure foundation for all IBM cloud products and services. Even if you're not looking for infrastructure, you can benefit from SoftLayer when you use platform or software services for IBM Cloud. All of our listeners have the upper all of our listeners have the opportunity to get $500 off What? Hold on. My my cat is attacking my computer. All of our listeners have the opportunity to get $500 of cloud infrastructure by visiting softlayer.com slash podcast. You can order bare metal servers, virtual servers, storage, networking, and security servers from your choice of data center. Softlayer has 24 data centers around the world, and all of those servers and services are connected to Softlayer's unique network of networks, which separate public, private, and management traffic, ensuring that traffic to and from your cloud infrastructure travels more efficiently. You can automate and control your cloud infrastructure with a granular API or in the easy-to-use Softlayer customer portal. 
Visit softlayer.com slash podcast with a capital P to get started with your $500 off servers, storage, network, and security on a cloud built to order from Softlayer. That that is a horrible piece of copy. All right, let's see. Let's Uh, leave that. Let's leave that in the podcast. uh, Okay, so... So one of a one of the more highly anticipated Apple accessories finally <laughs> came out this week. Uh, the Apple Watch dock, or I, I believe they're calling it the magnetic charging dock, will be available in stores or is available in stores right now. I'm not sure if uh, Neil, did you get a chance to uh, see any of these in person? I know they're they're not uh they're not shipping yet well, at least they yeah they just yet. showed up uh in stores and online this week uh some stores and uh, you know as somebody who likes docks this one doesn't really it looks ridiculous. excite me <laughs> yeah it, it's a it's like a little puck uh with a uh, lightning female connector on one side that you would plug a cable to, and then the magnetic round part of it is in the center of it. And it can lay flat in the puck, or it can pop out to allow you to use the watch in nightstand mode. So, um, <laughs> I mean, it's cool. Is need, it, though? I need to is see it? one in person before I like pass final judgment. But I had the following yeah. questions. One. Why is there the lower rim around the edge? Two, why does it look like a pillow? Three, why is the thing in the middle stainless steel? Four, why does it look like a pillow? Uh, I think we know who designed this, right, Shane? Uh, Yeah, Mikey and I were talking about this, uh, Neil, while you were, I don't know what you were doing, striking with fast food workers or something. Mm Mm-hmm. And our theory is that Mark Newsom designed this because he is on a jihad against flat surfaces. <laughs> I posited that if Mark Newsom got, I think he's married, if he got divorced and then married Zaha Hadid and they designed a house together, there would not be a single flat surface anywhere. <laughs> like they would be, they would go to get on the bed and they just roll off and they continue rolling <laughs> until they reach the lowest point of the surely curving floor. Speaking of curvy things. <laughs> yes, Osmo. Neil, what is uh what is Osmo and why should I care? Uh so just arrived in the mail today from DJI, uh the company best known for uh their drones. Uh they have a new camera system out uh well, there's a swappable lens uh, format that they have. Uh, what is it called? Uh, you guys remember the name of it? No. <sighs> well, anyhow, they have a, a, a swappable lens that they created with a gimbal for their uh, high-end drones. So not the not the Phantom drones. Um, it's called the Zen Muse. Are the names of it? So there's X3, X5, and X5R. So they offer different capabilities. They all record 4K, but larger lenses, uh, different sensor size, uh, that kind of stuff, right? So you can swap these lenses, and they're compatible with the high-end DJI Inspire drones, but they're also compatible with this new product called the Osmo. So the Osmo is like a uh, camera on a stick with a gimbal, and it it's uh, a small little the swappable lens up top, kind of you know it's like smaller than a GoPro essentially, um, and it's got a really nice metal uh, iPhone iPhone clamp on the left side, and so your iPhone connects to the Osmo, and it acts as the viewfinder for this really smooth, uh, nice gimbal. So just got it in the mail today. You know, I'll be working on my review over the next couple of weeks. Um, don't want to pass too much judgment on anything uh, just yet. But uh, immediate, uh, out of the box, very impressive hardware, really nicely constructed. I really like the arm that holds the iPhone securely. It's a cool design. Uh, It all folds up to be really compact, which is something that's really appealing to me. And uh, the quality looked good from how I, you know, messed around a little bit. It uses a Wi-Fi connection, not lightning, 
uh, which has its trade-offs. Uh, you don't need a cable or to plug anything in. I did find that um, with the DJI Phantom drones, uh, it was a much better experience when I could just plug in a lightning cable and didn't have to worry about connecting to the Wi-Fi. But um, it was uh, minimal lag, that, that sort of stuff when you're shooting. Uh, but yeah, so basically your iPhone acts as the controller, adjusting the settings on the camera and as the viewfinder. And the design of it, the hardware just feels really nice in the hand. It's, it's really well constructed. Awesome. So just to be clear, it, it, it has its own camera sensor or is it using the iPhone's sensor? No, it, it's its own camera sensor on a gimbal. And then the iPhone just connects to it and serves as a viewfinder. So the camera connects over Wi-Fi, a shared Wi-Fi network to your iPhone, and then your iPhone lets you show shows you what the camera is seeing as you're shooting, essentially. And so uh, then you can swap the lenses, so you can get these DJI Zen Muse lenses, and if you get a higher end one, it comes with the the X3 or whatever by default, uh, the one that's on it. But then you can swap them out and, and get higher quality ones. Uh, but it's got a built-in micro SD card uh, and a reader and physical controls on it so you can tilt and pan the camera as needed um and then there's a lock button on the front so you can lock at a certain angle while you're shooting and stuff like that move the camera up and down and it fixes on a certain point uh dedicated hardware record button as well but then you can also use the touch screen on your phone to change from photo to video or recalibrate the gimbal stuff like that so it comes with its own app then obviously yeah it uses the same dji go app that uh powers uh, the Phantom drones as well, and uh, Inspire. So all their drones, and then now this camera, all connect to the same app. Nice. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting product, and uh, uh, you know it's not quite a GoPro competitor, but it's going after some of the same market segment that would want a GoPro. Um, especially, I think the biggest knock on GoPro now is just the shakiness of the footage. Um, and GoPro obviously doesn't sell any sort of a gimbal. So the fact that this is an all-in-one kit with a gimbal and you could use it for some of the same, cause it's so portable, you could use it for some of the same capabilities as a GoPro. It obviously doesn't have the same, you know, waterproofness durability of a GoPro, but I think that they overlap markets a little bit here and you can kind of see where DJI is starting to go after, uh, GoPro, especially with GoPro planning to launch their own drone to compete with the phantoms and stuff next year. So uh, that market space is really heating up, and DJI is uh, really doing some cool stuff at the moment. I'm excited to see uh, and test out this product and see how good it is. So the camera on the thing only points forward, right? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, you can change the angle on it so you can point it up or down, and then you, you hold it in your hand. It's a one-hand uh, uh, grip with a gimbal on the end. I think based so, on Mikey's chortle, he knows where I'm going with this. Okay. Going to take that on vacation with yes. you, and uh, yeah, I was I was going to say it would really help that British guy who filmed this entire Vegas vacation with the GoPro facing the wrong. Oh direction. yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a funny video. Yeah, uh, it it seems pretty smooth from you know uh, just testing out real quick in my apartment. You know, just kind of panning back and forth and seeing how the footage looks. Um, it's about what you expect from a gimbal. You know, pretty cool. You can You're shoot go running with it. Uh, I don't think I'll, well, I'll, I'll do something that's going to, you know, at least put it to the test. Yeah. You can shoot a shot for shot remake of the Bourne identity and see if you can make the footage even shakier. <laughs> well, that's the point. It doesn't shake. You would want to get it with a GoPro if you want to get it real shaky. That's valid. Or just, uh, introduce it in post. Like, well, uh, well they shot like that. They did. I was going to say, yeah, they shot that with a steady cam and it still gave me nausea watching it. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I love these ultra portable camera kits, you know, um, if you're looking to shoot video, uh, and you're an iPhone user and you want to get something a little more stable than you can get with a GoPro. And of course you have the funds. How much does this thing cost? I mean, it's not cheap. Uh, 649 plus the cost of an iPhone. $649. So, well, yeah. Have you seen how much a gimbal costs? Are you shitting me? I am not, but have you seen how much a gimbal costs? Get yeah, yourself a decent but, iPhone gimbal or a GoPro gimbal. You're gonna spend four hundred dollars at least. Plus, you get a camera with this one. Yeah. Wow. No, it's, it's actually not a bad price when you see what's on the market. It's just you gotta. It, it's appealing for you know high end uh, people doing looking to do higher end video than just you know shooting on their iPhone or whatever. All right. Yeah. I I'll take know. your word for I it. Mean, yeah. I, I, I've seen, I mean, there are more people experimenting with the iPhone as a, 
uh, like an indie rig, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I've looked into some of the better reviewed uh, iPhone slash GoPro gimbals that you can buy at like B&H. And if you want to get something decent, you know, like battery powered like this is, um, where you can program the weight of the iPhone so it can balance and all the stuff that it needs to do. It's a lot of high-end processing that needs to go into these things. Um, the the cheapest you're going to get one for is like 350 And that's for like the absolute cheapest one that actually works with an iPhone. So this is one that doesn't use your iPhone camera. It has its own camera and gimbal and all that. And it connects to your iPhone so you can transfer the video and you can you know do all the kind of stuff you would want to do with it wirelessly. Um, and if you had a new iPad pro, it shoots 4k, the iPad pro can edit 4k video. So, uh, uh, use for iMovie there. Can the iPhone 6s edit 4k as well? Uh, yeah. If you have the iPhone 6s, yep. Hmm. I wonder what the, uh, I wonder how much time you're going to get as far as footage recording. The, oh, you mean the battery uptime? No. Uh, storage. Space. Space. Oh, space with 4K. It ships. It, they shipped it to me with a 16 gig card. I don't know oh, what do, the. Uh, oh, I thought so it doesn't. Yeah, I thought it records yeah. on iPhone. No, 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 no. So it records it locally, just yeah. like a DJI. So they're just using their camera technology that they've pioneered in their um, in their uh, uh, their drones. So their drones have these same gimbals that get that super smooth footage when it's flying around. So, so basically, is- what they did was they just took all the technology that they've done on that end and said, well, let's just make a handheld camera with it. Or they took the rotors off their drone. <laughs> a little smaller than their drones. That's the, ma- that's the main knock I have against uh, any of these DJI drones is just the size of them, you know. If you want to bring it anywhere, forget it. Yeah. Well, at least they're not as big as their uh, Hexawing or Octawing. Hexawing. Those things are massive, yeah. yeah. They're impressive too, though. I went to their event here in New York earlier this year, and people were slapping, you know, giant DSLRs on there, big Nikon with a huge lens on it, and a gimbal, and it's carrying that all that around to get this absolutely stunning footage from the sky. It's really cool. I don't have a drone, but if I did, it would be the one that I saw the other day. That I sent, not the other day. This is like five months ago. That I sent you a picture of that has an emergency parachute on it. <laughs> so when you inevitably screw up the piloting, you just trigger the parachute. Yeah. It floats gently down. <laughs> or theoretically, it floats gently down. It was made in China, so I don't know. Yeah, in theory. And that does it for this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. Again, thanks to Neil and Shane for coming on. Neil, where can our stalkers slash listeners find you on the internet? <laughs> Uh, you can obviously read me at Apple Insider, and uh, I am on Twitter at This Is Neil. And Shane, your considerable fan base can find you where? Um, I don't know that I want to tell them where they can find me. <laughs> They'll find you anyway. Just you know. Well, know. you if you you can just assume wherever Neil is, I'm not far behind. Indeed. So find him, and, and then go from there. And I am Mikey Campbell. I can be found at at MikeyCampbell81 on the Twitter machine and AppleInsider.com. And next week, Victor will be back with more quips and glib comments. Until then, good day. This episode was brought to you by Canary, a complete home security system in a single device. When Canary detects something out of the ordinary, it sends intelligent notifications with HD video straight to your phone. Canary puts you in control during an emergency. Through the Canary app, you can watch live footage, sound a built-in siren, or connect with police near your home. Start protecting your home with Canary today for just $199. Go to meetcanary.com and use the promo code INSIDER to get free overnight shipping.